We're almost set, guys. Welcome. Today is Friday, August 11th. And let's see what we got. Boom. Live streaming to all platforms. Perfect. Okay. Hey, guys. Today is Friday, August 11th. And you are watching, listening to the Better at Beach Volleyball podcast. And this is our coaching series. So today we're going to talk about developing some leadership and a bit of problem solving skills in your athletes. And we're going to get to that in just a second. But I wanted to share a little bit of what I've been doing before that. So uh, this coming week is the Manhattan Beach AVP Open. And pretty exciting. It'll be the first one that I haven't competed in in whoo, 15 years, something like that. And uh, it's exciting to be on this side of it, to be on the coaching side of it. And, you know, yesterday I'm working with one of the pro teams that I'm working with is Logan Weber and Hagen Smith. And they both know a lot. They both definitely have a coach mindset. So for me, all it is as a coach is just asking good questions. And I want to talk to those people out there who think they could coach or think they would coach, but maybe they don't have the credit. Maybe they don't have the social credit or people don't see them as a coach. So you're worried about starting your lessons or getting into that role. But what I want you to remember is most of the time, Great coaches just ask great questions. Your job is problem solving. And yesterday, working with Hagen and Logan, I was giving some small detailed parts, you know, some things that they knew but needed to be reminded of. And that's another big time coach role is just reminding you of things. It's not necessarily giving you new information. And when I'm working with these guys who are pros who have been in it forever, we more have discussions rather than telling. You know, obviously I'm going to give my ideas and I'm going to say, hey, here's a suggestion. Here's what I think you might want to do or consider. Try it. Let me know if it feels good or let me know if it rings true for you. Because it's not always easy to get your athletes on the same page if you're trying something completely different than they've ever tried before. And we're not doing that here this week and the next week because there's not enough time for us to implement new systems. So it's another little warning for coaches out there. If you think that you're going to, <laughs> like Ted Lasso, redesign something and try something completely new that you've never done before, and you're trying to install that in like a week or two weeks going into a major tournament, this is not a good idea. Try, the amount of focus it takes to completely change your offensive system or your defensive system, you start thinking more about that than you do about volleyball. So it becomes very much like lifting or working out where we almost um, wean or taper. We use a taper towards our championship performance. That means that you do less. And we want to do that physically, but also we definitely want to build to that point throughout a season. So if you're in the last week or two weeks of your season, 
don't try to install something brand new. Let them perfect what they have. Okay. And if we go back to teaching now, I know I'm bouncing around a little bit, but when you're at the end of your season or you're right before your tournament, you might have the chance to remind yourself of one good tip. But if you're trying to redesign your entire passing or your entire setting or the way you structure your offense or play defense, I don't recommend doing that without some opportunity to practice it. Make sure that if you are implementing a fast last second change, do one thing, one key that you think improves it. You know, one of the basics for uh, passing is, okay, get my hands together and hold my hands together. If you can remember that, you're going to be good. Yesterday when we were working with Logan, we noticed a few high serves were hitting him out the shoulders all the time. And he knows this. He knows that he should keep the ball in front of his body, but he was using a drop step and the ball kept getting behind him. So I said, hey, Logan, you keep getting hit over the shoulder, right? And then we don't get the ball forward. So how do you fix that? What ideas do you have? And he said, I can move back quicker. I can step back. I can start further back. And both of those are good ways to do it. You know, uh, Brandon and Hagen saw uh, his platform is getting behind his body. You know, I saw that he wasn't moving his feet. So we saw different things, but we really saw the same thing. We just said it in a different way. And then it's up to Logan to try and make those fixes. And we started to make those fixes yesterday, right? This is plenty of time. Now, I'm not going to have him, say, start deeper in serve-receive the day of the tournament. I'm not going to have him experiment with like new distancing and change everything, but we've got some time here where he can adjust and maybe make an important adjustment going into that. And uh, that's what we're looking for this week from him. If you're playing and you think that you want to try maybe to run an on-two offense, or you want to ask your blocker or your defender to do something that you've never asked them to do before, it's going to be sloppy. And I think a lot of partnerships end up ruining themselves because you try to ask for something in the moment that maybe this person has never heard of, has never attempted, has never practiced, or their skill set just doesn't allow them to do that. You know, I <laughs> I see a lot of B and A players who the defender looks at the, I don't know, 5'10", 5'11", blocker, somebody who's really not that big on the men's side, and they're almost yelling at them and disappointed, like, hey, you got to take that line, you got to take that line. Or a blocker who's 5'10 or 5'11 trying to block, and then a high line goes behind them, and it lands for a kill, and they're looking at the defender saying, you got to get that, you got to get that. Well, guys, that's unreasonable. The court's fairly big. So if you're not huge as a blocker, you're not really going to slow down high lines. And this is another reason why we tell more blockers than not, or more players than not, you should peel. If you're not getting your elbows, at minimum, your elbows above the net, you're not effective at blocking, stopping, or slowing down high lines. I need to say this again. 
if you're not getting at least your elbows above the net when you block, you are not effectively slowing down high lines. So what does that mean for you and your partner? That means that when the other team scores a high line and you as a blocker stayed at the net and jumped, you cannot look at your defender and say, man, you got to dig that. The AVP players won't dig that because it's not high enough for them to go. The blocker's not forcing the high line to go up. They're not slowing it down. So I want you guys to find some grace with your defenders if you're choosing to stay at the net and this defender is running around because you've only, if you're blocking and you've only increased the size of the obstacle by maybe six inches, it's not effective enough to slow things down. So you're being too tough on your defenders and defenders, you're probably being too tough on yourself, right? Even at the AVP level. And I know that these stats get worked differently when we talk about double A, A and B level, but at the AVP level, you know, winning championships, you're getting five, six digs, uh, per set. So if we look at 21-19, 21-19, five digs for 40 points, you're looking at one dig every eight points in order to win a championship. There are definitely, or should be, a lot more digs the lower the level we get because people aren't necessarily hitting down. But it shows that if you only need one dig every eight points at the highest level against the highest athletes, highest level athletes, that means you've got a lot of time to give yourself some grace uh, if you're not touching the ball. But blockers, people who are there at the net, please, if you're not getting your elbows above the net and the person who is scoring all the points against you is doing it by shooting, in other words, they're hitting high lines or hitting cut shots, this is not your defender's fault. This is your team's fault. And you have to problem solve that. We problem solve that by maybe fake blocking, dropping really late, dropping really early. We can run fours and threes and we can ignore you as a blocker. You could always block ball and make somebody try to hit over you. So in other words, the blocker will read the attacker and say, which way are they trying to hit? Okay, I'm going to put my hands wherever I see them. So the blocker is on a read, and maybe if it's a shooter and that attacker is looking for the defender, now the defender has the opportunity to juke and move. So it's really not up to your blocker to slow anything down. It's just up to them to maybe make them hit six inches higher, but now it's up to you to trick the attacker into hitting at you. Okay, But we also can't run into a lot of combinations like this. And what I mean by that is if you tell your blocker to block one and then you're, uh, in other words, block line, and then you're just sitting in the middle and then you dart out to get into your defensive pocket. Well, you didn't run a true one. You just had your blocker block line, but that's not a true team one. A team one is seeing a defender in the cross in the diagonal and just being there. Uh, team one is also, at the same time, leaving 
your blocker in that line. There shouldn't be confusion about this. When I'm looking at the athletes that we're coaching on our online program, by the way, if you want to get coaching and video analysis and get your technique fix and all of our workout programs, check out betteratbeach.com forward slash coaching. Head there and then you can sign up and we'll do some video analysis together. But uh, where was I? Oh, we see our, our defenders running completely different plays than we saw our blocker give signs for. So we'll see our blocker run a two. In other words, they're blocking cross. But then the defender is running from the diagonal to the line. So that defender ran a four and my blocker ran a two. We're not going to get quality information if we don't set parameters around what defense we're trying to run. Because when we run a defense, we're trying to collect information at the same time that we're trying to stop the offense. Okay, And if you're moving too many things, in other words, your blocker is not truly blocking line or your defender is really not defending true diagonal, you're not going to collect good information because you won't know why a hitter hit a certain ball. If you control certain variables, then you can learn why an attacker is hitting certain balls. Is it because they saw a blocker move? Is it because they saw a defender move? Is it because at the beginning of the point they're there? Or is nothing you do changing what they do or have any correlation to what you're doing on defense? If that's the case, if you find zero correlation to your defensive set and the way that they attack, guess what? They're not looking at you. They're just hitting whatever they want to hit. So it doesn't really matter what you run. That means you should get stable. I hope that makes sense. You should get still if you know that the person is not looking at you, looking for you. So defenders, this is way off topic for what we did. But defenders, start looking at the eyes of attackers, blockers. Start looking at the eyes of attackers during their approach. If you notice that at no point are they looking at you or looking your way, they're not looking for you. So there is no point in running bait and switches. There is no point in not getting directly to your defensive position. Defenders, blockers, look at the eyes of the attacker throughout their approach for a few points. And if you know that they're not looking at you and looking for you, there is, you must just go straight to your defensive base for the rest of the match. Okay. Of course, always be ready for on two, but the, the way to defend on two for everybody out there, the way to defend on two is not sitting in the middle of the court. You have a defensive play call for on two, and you play it the same way you play on three, which means, hey, if I'm going to serve their right side, if they go on two blocker, you block the right side of the court, I'll be defending the left side of the court. Because then we're still in chase mode. We're still in like a regular line block. Or you could say blocker, you block the line of approach, which is going to be you block the left side on two, I'll make sure I'm defending the right side on two. And in that case, then you're already both in your position. So I actually like that play a lot better. Okay. <clears throat> Stop trying to defend the on two ball out of the middle. Have a play call 
when you know a team attempts to go on to, say, you block this side to defend on to, prepare for it. I will defend this side to prepare on to. Okay. I um, hope that makes sense. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate the message, man. All right. We are going to get into today's actual main topic right after I give you guys some cool dates. Uh, it looks like we are starting to set something up with Dakin Volleyball up in Seattle. So a lot of people from Seattle have been asking us to go up there and run an event. And we are in the initial stages of heading up there uh, to Seattle in either the fall or sometimes after January. So guys, be on the lookout for that and start spreading the word. I know you guys have three indoor courts up there, so it's going to be a small camp, smaller than we usually like to run. But uh, as an initial start to heading up to Seattle, this will actually be our second time going to Seattle. But uh, since we've started the three-day camps, it's going to be a big thing. San Diego, I know you guys have been asking for an event for a while. So we'd love to come down there as well. But coming up for our events, August 20th, we have Advanced Defensive Techniques and Tactics for Women's B and A players on August 20th. It's nine days from today. Uh, August 24th and 25th in Virginia Beach, we are running a two-day clinic there. St. Pete, Florida, we have a three-day camp for men's and women's B and A players August 25th to 27th. And for A and AA players, September 8th to 10th. Speaking of uh, Florida and Postcard Inn and St. Pete Beach, we are running leagues this fall. So we're very excited. We had a number of phone calls with Postcard Inn, but Wednesday nights, all fall, we are going to run a beach volleyball league, and I think we are going to run a four-on-four four league. So if you are in St. Pete, if you're near St. Pete, Tampa, Clearwater, come hang out with us every Wednesday night. We're getting drink discounts, uh, food discounts with Postcard in. We even got a parking discount, so that will be included in your league fees. So this fall, St. Pete Beach, Postcard in Wednesday night leagues. Come hang out with our squad. It's going to be fun and cool and awesome. Uh, Ozark, we're having a phone call today with Ozark Volleyball. And hopefully we can set a date there as well, uh, including trying to hit up Boston, but that might be a summer one. So a lot of, a lot of uh, irons in the fire, I guess you could say. All right. If you guys want us to run an event, of course, you know where to find us at Mark Burick on Instagram. And let's start setting something up. We have a number of applications in for our videographer and social media editing. If you guys know sales and you know social media and you can edit videos and you know volleyball. I really want to make sure that you guys know volleyball because we are an education-based company. So we have a lot of entertaining reels and stuff, but it's all based on education. So if you don't know the game, but you're a video editor, this is not the job for you. If you know volleyball and, and a little bit of coaching, we'd love to see you on the video editing team. And we are coming out with a bunch of new swag very quickly. Lastly, if you're coming to the Manhattan Beach Open, 
AVP, please stop by our tent, say hello. I will be coaching two different teams at the Manhattan Beach Open, so I will be very busy during that time. But Matt Hazel should maybe be at our tent, and we will be selling our new hats, our new shirts, and uh, we just really want to say hi to you. That's actually the whole reason for us running the tent. It's not necessarily for us to get sales. It's just for us to say hi and be there and uh, have a place for us to congregate. Okay, let's get to the meat of this. And here we go. Guys, in this chapter of the course, we are talking about teaching leadership skills and decision-making in our athletes as coaches. As a coach, I believe under my philosophy, it's very important that we create problem solvers. So this is for anybody who is a leader, anybody who is an employer, anybody who is looking for elevation of their program anywhere. You have to create more leaders. You have to create better leaders. You have to create problem solvers. I loved sitting with my brother and his wife, my brother and my sister-in-law yesterday. They've got two amazing daughters. And they repeated this twice. They said with their children, we are not raising kids. We are raising adults. In other words, we're not teaching you to be children. We're teaching you how to become good adults, which means you need to be equipped with decision-making. You have to be able to take in information and make sound decisions on it. So if you just give them the answer all of the time as a coach, and you're not asking them to use critical problem solving or critical thinking skills, you're doing them a disservice for the future. You're doing them a disservice for the future of them as an athlete. And you're actually not growing the sport as well as you could. When we coach, we might be creating future coaches. If an athlete graduates from your program, if an employee graduates from your company, and they don't know how to lead or control a program or a practice or a drill, I believe you've done them a disservice. We want to create leaders. We want to put problems in their hands and say, this is your team as well. I mean, as well, this is your team. So what are you going to do? How are you going to help it? When we're talking about individual skills, you want to give them, when we're talking about physical skills, yes, no, maybe. So you give them the key, one key, and then for a solid practice. I'm not talking about for one repetition. I'm talking about for a full practice. All you have to ask is yes, no, I don't know. Yes, no, I don't know. So when we talk about getting your hands up early for setting, okay, and you're trying to teach your athletes that, you shouldn't say, hey, you didn't get your hands up. You should say, did you get your hands up? Yes, no, I don't know. Okay. When we talk about you know squatting deep maybe for jumping or using a quick squat for blocking, we could talk about either one. Both of them are valid techniques. 
but the awareness that the athlete has to have of themselves and of what you're trying to teach them has to exist. So as coaches, yes, no, and maybe should be your favorite line because you need to teach, you need to give them some solutions, some good ideas. You also need to give them the problems, okay? And you can say, what other ways do we have of saying this? And I love doing that when we're working with our adult athletes and especially with our pros. I will talk because I want some coaching tools myself. So I'll give them, you know, when we're building our platform, I'll say paper, paper, stapler, stapler, pancake, pancake, sausage, sausage, right? And then I say, does anybody else have a great way of saying this? What other ways have you heard? How can you teach this? Okay. Sometimes we get a cool new tool, but it makes them think about how they would start teaching it, which means you're finally starting to grow the sport. Because if you don't grow teachers out of your teaching program, if you don't grow coaches out of your coaching program, if you're only raising people who get fed information and get told, then you're raising or creating followers people who take orders. And if that is your coaching philosophy, okay, maybe that works. Just remember, you're not necessarily preparing them for the next stage. And most of our final stage, you know, if you look at the whole life of a volleyball player, your life might, the life cycle of a volleyball player, hopefully it ends in coach or organizer. Most, we end in athlete and then we say goodbye. <clears throat> excuse me, to the sport, but a lot of us have the pleasure and the honor of became, becoming coaches and organizers. And if you didn't learn that problem-solving skill set early, then it's going to hurt you. So coaches, make sure that you are creating problem solvers, and I'll give you a few ideas. One of them is definitely the yes, no, maybe question. Ask that on a regular basis so that your players when they get into a tournament, they can actually solve their own problems. When I'm coaching the adults, I say, hey guys, I know you're at a seven-day camp, but next week, I'm not going to be here. So I need to give you guys the tools to make sure that you're improving, to make sure that you know when you did something right or you did something wrong. If I don't give you those tools as a coach, then I am, you know, I'm just a crutch. And you will have to lean on me during that time and you won't have anything to lean on when I exit. Okay. Another one that I absolutely love. So two examples from my coaching career. Okay. I would quote unquote, show up late. Some accidental emergency. Okay. I lied to my players, but it was for a good reason. A little white lie. Okay. I said, Hey guys, um, I would text two of the captains and I would say, hey, I'm running late. There's traffic on the Bell Parkway. I need you to lead warm-ups. Then, of course, I was already at the gym on time. I would just stay outside the glass doors and peek in. And I would see if they're leading warm-ups, if they're actually doing it. Sometimes they didn't know all the drills, but sometimes some of the other players did. And they got to figure out how to prepare themselves okay if you can teach your athletes to prepare themselves 
then this is important. And you can give them different responsibilities, right? For me, I had two girls that I made sure, hey, I texted, can you run them through warmups? And can you take them through tens? Two drills that we know that we've done on a regular basis. This starts saying, hey, it's not up to coach to start our practice. Practice starts when practice starts, and this is training time. We're not just training or practicing because coach is here. We're training or practicing because this is what we have to do in order to be successful. So again, we're creating independent problem solvers by giving responsibility to athletes. Okay. Um, same thing if you have a coaching staff, you should definitely be putting one or two or all of those staff you should be giving them responsibilities for a program that they're in charge of. Okay. Same thing with employees, especially if you're trying to upgrade yourself in your business. If there is, if you find yourself doing the same task over and over and over by the second or third time you do that task, you should find a way to say, Hmm, is there anyone on my team that could handle this so that somebody else knows how to do it so that I'm not the bottleneck in my team? Right? Imagine your team couldn't practice without you, and you just couldn't show up to practice. You got into, I don't know, car trouble or something. Is your team just going to lose those two hours, or are they going to be able to create their own drills? Do they know the structure of your practice? And this goes back to what we've talked about before, creating your coaching binder, creating your team binder, and everything that comes with it. How is a structured practice? How do we practice? If they haven't read that, if they don't have that in their athlete handbook that you created for them, how are they going to know what to do if you're not there? You know, imagine you get stuck and they're at a tournament and now it's just parent and kids. The kids have to be able to tell the parent, hey, this is what we have to do. This is what it is. But if you're not preparing them for that, uh, well, they won't be prepared. Okay. Another thing that I did, which I really loved uh, with my pro team in Sweden, I prepared them way in advance, but I gave them the schedule of the practices that they would lead. And then, of course, I reminded them. So I said, you know, we, we had to work on some stuff and I made sure that the general direction of practice was set. But I said, you are in charge of practice for the first hour. That means you decide when we warm up, how we warm up. You decide on the drills, whether you're going to run the drills that we normally do or some of your own. You decide on the competition and the scoring system and the timing of it. You tell us when one drill stops and starts. A lot of them get really awkward at first, but what a lesson in life to be able to actually, you know, now we're talking about presentation. So especially if you're coaching juniors, all right, hey, this is your first in-person presentation where you have to be in front of 12, 14 people, and now you run the show. This is a great education, and I know that it can be risky for some of you to give up one practice or half of one practice, but let's think about the big picture. Let's think about the ability to create leaders and to create good citizens and people and give them experiences other than just being told what to do, okay? If you're running sort of a, a business set like we have, where we have people coming into class, here's a couple of ideas, okay? Because it's a class setting and not necessarily a team setting. You can 
ask if anybody wants to lead a part of a practice. And then you could run some experimental classes. I know that you're going to give up an hour, maybe two, but maybe you can have one session where you say, hey, players, this class is free. Anybody who's interested in coaching, I'm going to give you a little bit of a seminar and we're going to run through your drills. Your job is to come up with 20 minutes of practice. We'll see what happens. We'll see where it goes. And I'll critique you on rotations, reps per minute, any sort of feedback that you're giving. If you are running a company, this might give you a little head start into this person could be an excellent coach. But if you're only telling Telling, 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 and you're never listening, absorbing, asking questions of the people around you, of the people on your team. Number one, you're not learning. Number two, you're not learning about them, which means you can't be involved in their life and you don't know how to steer your decisions because all great coaches, all great leaders know the inside workings of their players, of their teams, of their customers so that they can solve problems for them and help them solve their own problems okay find a way to get some of your players to take leadership roles one other way that i love that gracie jujitsu does this really well is they say anybody who has taken this class before after doing the introduction they say anyone who has taken this class before please step away from the wall turn around and pick somebody who has not taken this class before they create a almost teacher-student relationship so they know that somebody is helping somebody else. So if you guys get new people on your teams as well, don't just say partner up. See if you can partner veterans or people who know the skills well with some of the people who need help. That'll introduce people to your community. It'll make them understand that their job is to help each other, not just listen to you. And you will grow and develop leaders for the future, which will pay off when you can't be there, when they need to make tough decisions in their life, when they need to share the game and grow the sport with somebody else or the next generation down the road. So I want to end on that, just a reminder that we are in this hopefully being full citizens of volleyball, of our sport, of our company, and we're trying to actually help grow the sport. And one of the ways to do that is by creating leaders. One of the ways to do that is by asking questions instead of just always telling. So next practice, you guys go into coach. Next time you go in to be a leader in your company or an employer, are you asking more questions than telling what to do. Let's try to bump up the number of questions we ask and see if we can tell less so that we develop critical thinking skills and the ability to solve problems. Okay. Thank you guys for being here today. Really appreciate your time. Send me any messages you want. Hit me up in the Facebook group. And uh, that's it from me, Mark at Bitter at Beach Volleyball. I'll see you on the sand.